Hello and welcome to my podcast. This is Aziz Hack, a final year student with the University of Calgary MBA program. This will be my submission um, in response to assignment two for my leadership curiosity project. So I'll I'll be exploring the ten. Uh, I'll be answering the ten exploratory questions uh, throughout this fifteen to twenty minute podcast. Uh, what I'll try to do is uh, break up the uh, the questions as I go through the material. So. I'll start off with question number one, you know, what was I curious about and why was I curious about this subject? So uh, I actually was quite curious about uh, motivation theory and how uh, to manage uh, high performing um, uh, teams that really rely on internal uh, driving mechanisms. Um, And why I was curious about this was because, well, I just find all too often that workforces now are being uh, commoditized and are the management's approach is totally to- totally reliant on uh, external factors like termination firing people bonuses and rewards and, uh, and, and and you know hiring people based on on the value of a paycheck and and my personal experience as a, as a small-time entrepreneur and working in sales um, for quite some time none of those things actually did it for me I really found that I, I liked working for organizations where, which where I really was able to use my internal uh, uh, motivation uh, the other element that I the other, uh, the other reason I really found this area to be of interest was because in my you know, short experience in the last 10 years, I found that organizations actually aren't really able to keep highly motivated type A type personalities engaged for very long. I mean, we often see that these uh, employees are sought after and hired, but they typically aren't able to keep them engaged and you, you, you lose them as fast as you hire them and it becomes this revolving door. And, and, and unfortunately, the, the, the greatest victim is, is actually that type, that highly motivated individual whose career has tons of peaks and valleys. And at some point, you find that they're not as motivated any, anymore. And so, you know, I've gone through that myself personally. So I wanted to really get into this subject to see, you know, is there a certain style of management that can be used to facilitate, uh, uh, you know, better engagement of these creative and uh, highly motivated individuals? So that's the reason why I wanted to get into this. Now, how did I choose to approach exploring this curiosity project? Well, I, I, I did quite a bit of research uh, on the internet to see, you know, what what type of material is out there, and and I and I, and I looked at sales leadership and managing sales teams because in my mind, when I thought about you know internal motivation, I thought, okay, well, salespeople, but you know that produced a ton of, uh, you know, uh, really un uncredible salesman type. Uh, manuals and books, which I didn't really think would make very well for you know, a graduate level of research. And so what I actually ended up finding was a very palatable uh, uh, writer, uh, writer or researcher, uh, Mr. Daniel Cable, uh, spent, spelled, uh, spelled C-A-B-L-E, who's actually a psychologist and an organizational behavior psychologist and a professor at the London School uh, of Economics. And you find that he's got a ton of material out there and he really looks like an authority. He's got a ton of articles on the uh, at Harvard Business Review. He's got a ton of TEDx talks, highly palatable, palatable stuff that's not really difficult to digest or understand. Um, and he's got a great uh, uh, audio book and, and, and print book called uh, uh, Alive at Work. And so I, I liked his style. I thought it was quite palatable. And so I decided to u- use uh, this approach by using a combination of 
TEDx videos and, and, and multiple other streaming videos that go into the subject uh, using multiple HBR articles that went into the subject and of course his book. So that was how I explored the subject. Now I want to answer question four, which is how did I engage in critical thinking about what I discovered, but I want to ex explain what I discovered. And so when you go through Daniel's work, and he's got a lot of work out there, you know, he really finds that there's this internal reward system in the brain called the uh, the seeking system. And he's borrowed this idea uh, from from a neuroscientist, Pankoff. And you know what 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 this reward center does is it rewards you for learning beyond your normal learning your norms and he relates this to the phenomenon of you know toddlers of babies that they can be quite uh, animated and excited over the simplest of objects like a like a set of car keys and you know, they'll play with them and play with them and get all sorts of dopamine and reward for playing with these simple objects until they finally get tired and bored and at some, at a certain point the, the you know the baby and the toddler become so enthusiastic and has such a zest for life that even the most complex toys, the toys that have noises and sounds and lights become boring. And so, you know, what Dan says is, or what rather uh, the neuroscientist says is, that's really the, the brain's reward center telling you that, hey, you've been rewarded enough and it's now time to move on to something new. So you've got to ex constantly expand, expand your realm. And so, you know, Dan really feels that this phenomenon of, of, of seeking uh, and getting reward is actually what gives us the zest for life and, and gives us greater purpose and meaning and in, in, a, in an organizational behavior context, it's the reason why people show up to work to be their best self, which, you know, in his opinion, isn't really happening in the workplace. Now, in terms of critical thinking about this, this concept, I actually agreed with, with, uh, with Dan because, you know, I too also see, and, I, and, and people have complained to me and I've complained to others that, you know, workplaces that have become highly bureaucratic or rigid, uh, that have, you know, rules for the sake of rules or just limit the individuality uh, of the worker, they really take away from the, um, the fun of work, being at a workplace where they're in a safe zone and being able and, and, and are able to be creative and learn uh, in a very safe space. And it could be as simple as a workplace where, you know, people are doing uh, janitorial services or, uh, you know, working in a mailroom or, a, you know, in a more sophisticated spaces, uh, you know, with respect to information technology. But, you know, I've, I've come across that, yeah, it, it, from a critical thinking perspective, um, when we stop learning or we're, we're not going beyond what we know, life gets a little dull. And, and I kind of agree with that. Um, Now, question number five is interesting because I thought about this quite a bit because I know Willow actually brought this up in probably lecture one. How did something I learned during this course connect with my curiosity or exploration? So Willow did speak about the reptilian brain very early on in, in, in our session. And I thought that was really interesting because that's kind of where this is going back to. You know, we're going back to basic primal behaviors where really... You know, the part of the brain that, you know, originates at the brain stem is where they're relating uh, this reward mechanism to be occurring. And although, uh, you know, Dan admits that for the sake of, you know, hyper specialization of employees and standardization and growing economy and having efficient businesses, which are all necessary, you know, we need to be highly specialized. And so we're growing other parts of the brain, um, but we're certainly neglecting 
the, the part of the brain that actually quite enjoys uh, being creative and being able to do things beyond the norm. So even though we do sophisticated things, um, computer science, you know, surgeries, if you start doing those very sophisticated things as a norm, you actually do limit the amount of dopamine that you would have gotten from doing something out of the norm that might be actually less complex. Um, so I thought that was kind of um, interesting, and it actually resonated with quite a bit of of the sim of of, of of the same concepts that Willow brought up. Another interesting concept that um, that Willow brought up, and that later in this research that we see as well, is that Dan goes into um, how how we can actually as a community. Um, as leaders and as employers and as workers uh, foster an environment where creativity and stimulation of the seeking system uh, is something that we take a priority to. And, you know, some of the things he recommends were uh, recommended was self-expression, working in safe, uh, safe spaces. So being able to being being comfortable to be able to uh, uh, to uh, to experiment in a safe space. And finally, um, you know, creating positive narratives and, and finding some meaning uh, to, to your work. Uh, so what I thought was interesting was that when, we're, when Dan recommends that we have to create um, meaning or, you know, the why, why we're here to do something um, and, and, and choosing positive narratives and stories to do that, I thought that resonated exactly with what... Um, with what Willow spoke about when she spoke about raising yourself, raising yourself just enough to be able to get the other person to listen to you. And I thought that was really interesting that, you know, both people are basically speaking about raising the self-esteem, not nullifying it. And I thought that was really, uh, really interesting and, and, and showed a lot of overlap. Um, So moving on to question number six about how did I make use of my infinity group to help me explore, think critically or learn? So, you know, I was fortunate enough that I had a lot of the same people in my infinity group so I could keep this conversation going about um, motivating employees in the workplace and how motivation really works. And it was really interesting because, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to have two colleagues that actually manage highly highly unionized workforces where you know you know they, they don't really rely on their internal reward system um, you know there there's a, a lot of rigid lines and rules and bureaucracy to follow when working with unionized workforces and so really it becomes an element of fear and kind of like what Dan Cable describes in his in his work is that the the application of fear is a is the killer for the seeking system 
So when we as managers and leaders rely on external fear factors, so the you know, your possible, you know, remand of an employee or writing someone up or terminating them, you might scare you. I mean, you're probably scaring them, even if they don't look scared. But what you're actually doing is killing that uh, reward center from the employee. So any sort of uh, negative behavior that you wanted to change, you're probably not going to be able to change it. And you're probably not going to have this employee arrive to work as their best self. And usually we see this in poor performance and customer dissatisfaction. And so it was kind of interesting, you know, I had two folks who basically said, you know, the unions are the problem. But, you know, if you take the unions away and you still apply a fear mechanism, uh, you, you still get the same result. And so, you know, Dan goes into this, that many, many organizations and case studies where organizations rely on you know, constantly using a fear-based approach really do erode any sort of goodwill or comfort that that employee might have at the workplace. And, you know, he goes back to child psychology, really, where he says that, look, you know, when you have children that are fostered, nurtured, and cared, and encouraged to explore and, and be enthusiastic, you get happy people, happy children that are very, that have a high zest for life. It's a life worth living. And, you know, that's a phrase that Dan actually goes through quite a bit um, in, in, in this work where, you know, we want to be a society and we want to be employees that are happy to come to work, that are arriving at our, with our best selves, that have a zest for life. You know, and zest is an interesting emotion that he describes, uh, you know, an emotion where, you know, it's a life worth living. Whereas he also provides, you know, the, the, the opposite example where there's numerous cases where children are actually in abusive homes where those abusive parents might tell the child how dumb and stupid they are for a very, very long time and actually kill that motivation and drive and that entire seeking system and then spiral the child into multiple uh, other problems that we later see in life with, you know, depressive system, depressive, symptoms of depression and, and so on. And so I thought that was really interesting that you know, when I was speaking to my colleagues in the Infinity Groups, that I actually didn't think this was a union problem. I actually do feel that this comes down to how we organize uh, our industrial relations or our workplace settings. Are we creating workplaces where uh, employees feel safe, uh, safe enough? So are they in a safe zone where they can play and experiment? Um, can they, you know, have a po- positive narrative of themselves? Are they getting a positive narrative from their leaders? Or are they being, you know, told negative, nasty things in the form of fear and punishment? And I, and I don't think a union environment dictates that. I think it's really the culture of the business, which is actually set by the business. And so, you know, I thought that was interesting. Now, Question number seven, what was the most surprising thing I discovered? So I'll, I'll skip a couple of steps, but you know, Dan offers quite a few re- remedies to say, hey, you know, you as leaders and managers, there's still some time to, to fix this issue. You know, we can try implementing certain strategies and he, he recommends three strategies that can help yourself and, and the employees that work for you to reactivate that seeking system. So A, you know, managers actually have to be hired and, and employed not to be um, revenue performers. They should not be people that have been hired to actually produce additional widgets. It actually doesn't make sense. You know, from Dan's perspective, managers and leaders should really be hired for their leadership qualities, um, which doesn't mean that, you know, you are the best widget maker. You've got to have some really innate uh, leadership qualities. And these leadership qualities 
are, are, are really not uh, you, you uh, for you personally, but you actually as a servant leader uh, for the workforce. And, you know, Dan actually offers a free chapter of his book on his website on servant leadership, and he really believes this works. And the reason he actually loves this this stuff is that he, you know, he offers uh, a case study out of China where the CEO of Standard Bank in China, you know, he, he you know, China is a highly bureaucratic country, really rigid. And this country, um, you know, it's hard to change things. And, and, and you're one of the biggest banks there, but you've got horrible, horrible customer satisfaction. And what he found was that the employees were so afraid to to do anything outside of, you know, the the, the four boundaries of, a, of, of, of their policy manual. And so he had to re- create a culture where it was safe enough for the employees to play and, you know, go outside of the boundaries of what they're allowed to do to make the customer satisfied and so you know he goes at length to describe that this uh ceo i believe his name is jung z you know he actually <coughs> takes away the fear mechanism you know he wants to ensure that people are not afraid and how he does that is he encourages all his senior executives to actually engage with employees uh to dress informally to you know be the servers at big parties and dinners but not because they're coming from a place of humility and humbleness because they actually want the employees to feel that it's safe you know you can speak up you can make decisions we don't want you to be afraid and that was a big thing and what you find is over the course of a few years is that the business turns around employees at the branch level of the bank were actually making decisions that they weren't used to making and they didn't have to write them in manuals or document it. They were comfortable enough to do that because they felt that they were A, owners of the business and B, there there wasn't going to be negative reprisal even if they got something wrong. So this type of servant leadership that, um, that Dan recommends is different in the sense that you want employees and people to feel relaxed and normal. They don't have to be uh, someone that they're not where you're really trying to encourage them to be their true self and being your true self means that you know sometimes you make mistakes and you don't want to have a fear mechanism to prevent them from making mistakes so I thought that was really interesting in in, in terms of one of the, the most important things I discovered which is really the, the 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 level of work you have to do to take the fear out of, a, of a, uh, the fear system out of a major institution such as a national bank. Now, I think this is far easier to do for us small business owners. Um, but you know, I was I was totally flabbergasted that you know, in a country like as rigid as China with the Communist Party and the bureaucracy, that you could do this at a national level. The other thing that I found that was really interesting, and this kind of goes back to you know what Willow was speaking about um, in terms of you know raising your standard, uh, raising, raising, raising yourself and having a positive uh, narrative of yourself was one of the recommendations that Dan makes. And he, you know, he really makes that, you know, you have to find purpose and meaning to your life. And he doesn't really believe that there's such a thing as a, as a self, not, not in the sense that Freud, Freud recommends. He actually believes the self is a series of stories that you've been told and you've told yourself, as we described in the, in the case of you know, child psychology. And, and, and for that reason, he feels that, you know, as adults, you know, we have to take time to select positive stories that have a lot of grandeur so that we actually feel um, good about ourselves, that we're raising ourselves. We have to have a positive uh, feeling um, about our self-worth that creates purpose, like we've got to have a purposeful life. And similarly, when, when you're in a leader of an organization, you, you want to actually 
in, inflate the self. You want to create a big, a, a purposeful, big story for your employees so that they feel that they have a purpose where they can see that what they put into the company uh, is, is, is coming back to them in a positive way. And so that was really interesting, uh, the selection of stories and narratives that allow you to have a you know, more positive uh, image of yourself. And you know he gives the example. This is that, that this is really helpful in moments of crisis when he goes into his own story of fighting cancer. That you know typically the immediate reaction is when you see something like cancer that you have a really negative response to that. And so you know he, he talks about how a doctor walks him through a much more positive narrative, which actually entirely changes the reality uh, uh, of what's happening. And now this does require a lot of coaching, but it's something that he highly recommends if you really want to be a leader that's activating that seeking center. Um, now, I think I might have answered this already. What was the most useful or applicable thing I discovered? Personally, I do think that the three strategies that Dan recommends are probably the most applicable. The first is, you know, you really got to be able to do some um, self-appraisal. Um, and, and how he recommends doing that is, you know, having this positive eulogy about yourself or having, you know, a, a, um, cognitive highlight reel of yourself as an athlete. And what he's tries, what he tries to reckon, why he recommends these things is if you ever go to a funeral, you'll see that people who attend funerals, uh, you know, even though they're somber, somber occasions and, uh, you know, that people come with really positive images about the deceased and they come with great stories. And, you know, Dan only hopes that, you know, if this person was only alive to hear it, he'd feel like a million bucks. So why can't we do that for ourselves now? Why, why do we have to wait till we're dead? You know, and, and similarly, you know, when you, you look, you go and watch your favorite athlete high, uh, highlight, you see your, your glorious athlete for two to three minutes, invincible. He looks like a God reality is he's never like that like 99% of the time he's just like you and me but if we could have that same visual stimulus for ourselves you, you find that you know you 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 have a far greater appreciation for yourself and are able to activate that seeking center and so you know the strategy is as a leader we want to create that environment and encourage people to constantly look and think of themselves uh, at, at their best. And as individuals, we want to work uh, th by selecting the right stories uh, for ourselves. Um, what is the one specific thing I plan to change as a result of my discovery? So um, this is interesting. I think I'm going to have to change quite a bit because I, I actually don't think I have a lot of these qualities. I myself... Um, do not take a lot of time to select the right stories and narratives for myself. I actually have this problem. I go through this dilemma all the time. Did I do the right thing? Did I do the wrong thing? You know, and, 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 I've, and I've had a hard time uh, really inflating myself. I come from a culture which doesn't really believe in, 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 in inflating the self. It actually, on the contrary, it, it actually believes in beating up the self. So this is actually a really hard thing for me. And and, 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 and I think it's been, you know, one of the causes for my, my own uh, personal sadness at times. But I, I can see the positive affects. And I think I might need to get some coaching for, for this because it's not something I can do easily. But to really be able to look back at my life and my achievements in a positive way. Um, and be able to select the right stories and recreate, um, you know, that, that meaning for myself. I'm going to have to spend a lot of time doing that before I can do that for others. 
And finally, question number 10, what question did exploring my curiosity lead me to ponder next? And I think that's really, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time reading this material. Am I willing to put in the work to be a leader that's actually dedicated um, to a legacy of creating a workplace that focuses on creating a safe place for my employees such that they can they can um, they get a lot of reward from their seeking center and this is an interesting thing that Dan ends his his book Alive at Work with chapter 10 and he speaks about legacy and he goes through this fantastic exercise and I'm going to I'm going to you know end this podcast with this with this exercise but you know he asks the the, the listeners to write down his their grandparents names and most of us can do that for both sides of our grandparents and then he asks us to write down our grandparents parents names and I couldn't do it and he explains that most of you can't and that's only two generations away you can't even write the names of your own family tree that's only two generations away. And then he goes back to the workplace setting where he asks managers and leaders, you know, what are you spending all your time for? The legacies that you're trying to create, no one remembers the last greatest bulletin or the last greatest process or, uh, you know, there's no, there's no real element of, of this revisionist history in the business setting. And so really what he recommends and cautions people is that how long do you want to wait before you make an impact on society? Because, you know, life is actually quite short. And the greatest impact you can make is tomorrow or today living a life where you're actually rewarded immediately through the seeking system for the work you do. And as a leader who wants to, you know, really adopt this way of, of life and in, 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 in his business and, and, and for their employees, you have to get away from being worried about the return on investment and, you know, the amount of widgets you create. Can you be that leader that creates that environment where this where people are learning beyond their norms that they get to a chance to be creative in a safe space where they can play and experiment and actually have um, a meaningful workplace where they can create stories and narratives that are bigger than their reality s- s- such that they all feel like they're a part of the culture and and, and, can, and can you create that so that they do get that, you know, dopamine effect and become legacy employees? And so he feels like that's actually a legacy that's worth uh, working on that'll actually have a lot, a lot more immediate af- uh, benefit to you and your business. And I thought that was really fantastic and interesting. Um, and, and, and it leads me to ponder, you know, if I'm going to be that type of individual because it's actually a lot harder. Uh, to do then one thinks. I mean, I've been trying some of these exercises and it's a, it's a lot harder. It could be actually a lifetime of work to just reprogram my own uh, purpose of self and, and meaning that I have for myself in the workplace. And so I think that's going to be the next phase of my, uh, my endeavors, which is to really um, focus on, inst- uh, on these uh, m- m- mindful um, uh, behaviors on selecting the right narrative. So now that that that's the uh, short podcast on um, exploring the concept of uh, m- motivation, uh, uh, leadership from the from from the perspective of of motivating the seeking center uh, from uh, from Daniel Cable. I thought it was a really interesting 
uh, perspective. It's, you know, another approach to motivating uh, workforces and tackling, uh, you know, employees who seem to be, you know, losing uh, their motivation at a workplace. I hope you enjoyed it as well. And thank you very much for your time.